Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this message. Simchat Torah is not a biblical festival. It's really a festival that the rabbis had uh, developed, basically because um, Sukkot is considered the most joyous occasion in the Jewish calendar, and so we want to extend it. We want to keep celebrating, keep worshiping. A seven-day festival is just not enough, in other words. So what we do is we add an eighth day, Shemini Atzeret it's called, an eighth day to the festival. And then after Shemini Atzeret, we add Simchat Torah, the rejoicing of the Lord, and of the law or the Bible. If we could have thought of some other things, the rabbis would have come up with more, you know. But it was sort of like, you know, we just had six festivals, you know, Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Shavuot, or, you know, uh, Pentecost, Feast of Weeks. And then we had Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Shemini, Rosh Hashanah uh, Rabbah, Shemini Atzeret, and Simchat Torah. What else can we come up with, you know? It's like, you know, we just couldn't do it. And uh, so we just wait. And we get to Hanukkah, you know, and then we're, good, then we're good to go again. And then it starts. Poor, um, you know, we just keep coming up with things. So, but what happens on Simchat Torah is we finish reading the scripture, Deuteronomy 34, and then we restart the first book of the Bible, Bereshit, in the beginning, book of Genesis, and we begin to read the creation account. Now, it's interesting just to reflect on this a moment, why it is that we never come to the end of the scripture, of the law, and why it is we restart it. Now, there are really two answers to that question. One is that the word of God never runs out of influence and empowerment and significance. So we never stop reading it. We finish, we keep going. We have to keep repeating because we never can know the word of God exhaustively. That's one aspect. But there's another reason. The other reason is it doesn't have an ending. The book of Deuteronomy does not bring the Torah to an end. It actually brings us to a question regarding where do we go from here? And because the answer in Judaism is not forthcoming, We start at the beginning. But what is really being stated is that we're not ending this because there's no legitimate end to it unless we come to realize the Messiah is coming because that's what the whole of Scripture is about. 
Ultimately, the scripture is about the coming of Messiah. So until he comes, the word of God doesn't end. It doesn't finish. And when you look at the last books of the Hebrew scriptures, it sort of leaves us with a sense of there's got to be more here. Because what we've been looking for, what we've been told to watch for, what, the one we've been waiting for hasn't appeared. That's how the Hebrew scriptures come to a close. That's why, for example, um, the, all the Hebrew scriptures, the final book in the order of scriptures is the book of Chronicles. Second Chronicles, but the book of Chronicles. And the book of Chronicles ends with the statement, let us go up. It's about the return of the Jewish people from exile. And then it ends with the statement, now that we are returning, let's go up to the land of Israel. But for what purpose? Well, ultimately to worship Messiah. But Messiah hasn't appeared. And so even the last book of the order of the scriptures, as it's seen in the Jewish Bible, leaves us with a sense of we're told to go up, but it doesn't end because the one that we're waiting for hasn't come. Now, I want to show you the same thing is true with the book of Deuteronomy. So look at Numbers chapter 34. It ends with the statement of the death of Moses. And so we read, for example, in verse 1 of chapter 34, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land. Now, how many of you have been to the land of Israel? And how many of you also from the land of Israel went into Jordan? And how many of you, once having gone to Jordan, went up to Mount Nebo? Now, Mount Nebo, uh, I had the opportunity to do this back in 2005, I think it was. Mount Nebo is opposite the Dead Sea by the northern portion of the Dead Sea. So when you come down to the Dead Sea, you're 1,500 feet below sea level, the lowest place in the world. And then you go east, you cross into Jordan, you come to a mountain range. It starts Mount, you know, the uh, Mount Seir and the uh, and Edom, Moab, that's where the ancient land was, the land of Jordan. You go directly across, you go up the mountain, and there's Mount Nebo. On the top is a chapel. And it's very interesting because at the top, they have the staff. It's, it's an iron. They don't have the staff. But they have a staff made out of iron with the uh, snake coiled around it. Remember, Moses put up the snake, and everyone that would look to it would be healed, you know? So they have this snake up there, and they have some words of Moses, because you're on Mount Nebo. And as you look out, you're almost directly across from Jericho. That's like down the foot of the mountain and then into the land of Israel. So that's where Moses is. Now, if we're looking on chapter 34, it says that he saw all the land, and the Lord showed him all the land. Now, he tells us what he saw. He saw Gilead as far as Dan. You're north of, of the Sea of, of Galilee now. So he's looking north. That would be to your right from the Mount, Mount Nebo, all the way north to north of the Sea of Galilee. He saw all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh. You're looking to the north and to the, uh, what would be the north, northwest. And then it says that he saw the land of Judah, 
Now you're looking like south in the land of Judah, going toward Jerusalem. And as far as the Western Sea, that's the Mediterranean, he saw the Negev, that's going all the way south, past the Dead Sea, and the plain, that is the Valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, he sees Jericho, as far as Zohar. And the Lord said to, so he sees all the land. Probably God has, well, had to have supernaturally enabled him to see all the land because you cannot see all the land from Mount Nebo. You can see the horizons, of course, but you can't really see all the land as it's described here unless God had supernaturally enabled Moses to see all the land. Now, it's very interesting because God promised Moses he would not enter the land, but he could see the land. And it's interesting because God is a God of truth and trustworthiness. He says you could see all the land. He's going to show Moses all the land, even supernaturally. And he didn't just mean generally the land. There it is, all of it. But no, he's able to see it, and he mentions all the areas that he's able to look at. And then the text goes on to say, And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord. I want you to think about that, this phrase for a moment. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he, that's interesting too, who is the he referring to? Probably God. That's the last antecedent before, right? The Lord showed him, and now he's buried him. So it seems as if what is being referenced to is God really takes initiative and buries him. And then it says, he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed, his power and strength unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for a whole month, 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. But now this is how the book ends. That's just recording for us his death. But then it says this, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. God's spirit just indwelt him. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants, to all his land. For all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So you can see why I say Deuteronomy ends, but it doesn't end the book. Why? Because he just told us. A prophet like Moses has not arisen on the scene of Israel's history to this very day. So it leaves us flat. You would expect the book to end, and the prophet, like Moses spoke about, has appeared. That would end the book. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the prophet like Moses. Now, perhaps I've uh, jumped too far uh, forward. Let me lay this out for you. See, when he says that a prophet like Moses has not arisen, he's not just giving us a general statement. He's telling us that Moses... Maybe the most important statement he made as a prophet was that we are to await the prophet who would be like 
him. So to keep your finger here in Numbers chapter 34 and turn to Numbers chapter 18. Right, keep your fingers here in Deuteronomy chapter 34. But then turn with me to, uh, excuse me, Numbers chapter, what numbers did I want you to see? Uh, oh, do, did I mean Deuteronomy 18? Yes, I meant Deuteronomy 18. Thank you, Carlton. Then we're going to go back to Numbers. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. In verse 15, Moses writes, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. That is the key prophecy that Moses gives. Everything he's written sort of becomes secondary, if I could say that, secondary to this particular statement. Because everything that he's written, remember, he wrote the book of Genesis, he wrote the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now we're coming to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Everything Moses has written. And the thing that he tells us we are to look for is the prophet who would be like him. Now look what else he goes on to say. He says... The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb. That's when they received the Mosaic Law. That's when they received the Ten Commandments. On the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken." And so they're saying, look, we can't bear the word of God as it's being conveyed to us. It's just too powerful. It's too frightening. It's too scary. Remember when God spoke, there were thunders and lightnings. And the people are saying, look, let's not hear this anymore. It's just too overwhelming. So what does God tell Moses? God tells Moses, I will respect their concerns over this. But what they are to look for the one they are to look for who will speak my words, which they will be able to hear and able to receive, which will not come within this frightening context, is a prophet like unto you, Moses. So Moses now says, as they have requested, just as you've requested on Mount Horeb, you want to hear God's voice, but with not all of the power And not all of the fearfulness and frighteningness that can come from hearing God's word as it was presented on Mount Horeb, on Mount Sinai. The Lord says, I understand what they're asking for, and I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to provide for them one who will speak, whom they will uh, hear, who will speak with not the same sort of display of power and might and majesty. And so what does Moses say? You're to look for that prophet who will speak the word of God in that fashion. And he will be like me. And then he goes on to say, let me, uh, in verse, um, verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, that's an interesting phrase, too. 
He will speak all that I command. No prophet has ever done that, right? Because every prophet has been a sinner. Every prophet on occasion has failed in one way or another. Even Moses, he doesn't get to enter the promised land. But this prophet who is like Moses will be somewhat unlike Moses because what he commands, he will do. He will not be disobedient. He will follow me in all of my ways. Now look what else he goes on to say. In verse 19, And whoever will not listen to my words that he will speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes, and then he makes a contrast with false prophets. So what he's saying is, look, what you're to look for is a prophet like me. We haven't answered the question, what does it mean to be a prophet like Moses? But he's saying here, you're to look for the prophet who's like me. He's going to speak in a manner that will be receptive by you. It will not be in a manner like you're hearing at Mount Horeb where the people were so frightened, they just cowered before him and said, we can't hear this because it's just too overwhelming. No, you're going to look for a prophet who will be like me, but when he speaks, he's going to speak in such a way that you can be receiving it and you can be receptive to it. But this one who will speak my words will be one who will speak my words without error without fault whatsoever. He will be one who will not only speak these words, he will live these words and therefore demonstrate and manifest himself as one who is sinless, one who is uh, perfectly obeying what I give him to say. But not only this, if we are not responsive to what he says, we will be held accountable for it. And what he's saying is what will that, the result of that will be judgment. So now we have to ask the question, What does it mean to be like Moses? What does it mean to be like Moses? So with that, I want you to turn to Numbers. And in Numbers chapter 11, it's a very interesting passage that comes here. Because God tells Moses to appoint 70 elders. And if you look at verse... 16 of chapter 11. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them stand there uh, and let and take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit. This is very interesting. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. And you shall not eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat for it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat. And he talks about God's uh, provision. And then he gathers the people. And then you go down to verse 24. So Moses went out, told the people the words of the Lord. He gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. He's talking about the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. So here, the Spirit of God rests on Moses. 
Moses, as a, as a consequence, is able to prophesy and to lead the people and to fulfill his role as Israel's legislature, as Israel's leader, as his, his guide, and his, their mediator. And now as part of the spirit that is on Moses is disseminated to these 70 elders, they begin to prophesy. Not forever, not like Moses, who throughout his ministry, his ministry is a ministry of prophesying. He was a prophet. But for the moment, demonstrating the spirit that was on Moses is now on these elders. And they will be ones that will help Moses in service because there's so many people with needs, he can't bear it alone. But the point is, they prophesy, even for a moment. And that, because of the spirit from Moses, from God, but given to Moses, is now given to them. Now look at Numbers chapter 12. When Miriam and Aaron see the people prophesying, evidently they're moved to some kind of jealousy. Because it says in verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, now listen, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? So the real issue is not just who we married. The real issue is Moses' uniqueness as a spokesperson for God. And while these 70 elders became spokespersons for God, Miriam and Aaron were not among them. So Miriam and Aaron now say, Has God only spoken by you, Moses? He's spoken by us too, hasn't he? And they begin to challenge Moses. And look at verse 3 or so. And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. It's almost like, you know, a parent. You know, kids are fighting. Come out of here. I got to talk to you. But this is a lot more serious, right? And so he says, and the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood in the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came out. And he said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, now remember what Moses said, you are to look for a prophet who will be like me. He will be from among your, mem- your brethren. It's a very similar expression that's being used here. He says, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in dreams. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak, literally it says mouth to mouth, but it's a an idiomatic expression that means face-to-face, intimately, personally, directly. So he's saying, look, there may be other prophets, but those prophets whom I choose and who I determine to be a prophet are ones that I will speak to in visions and dreams. But Moses is different. Moses I don't speak to in dreams and visions. He said, with him I speak directly. With him I speak intimately. With him I speak face-to-face. With him I speak, he says, Clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Okay, so now we're getting an idea. We're told in Deuteronomy 34 that the prophet like Moses, that God said he would raise up, Deuteronomy 18, had not yet appeared. 
And to be a prophet like Moses meant that he was one that God would speak directly to. That's what set Moses apart. And that's what it means to be like Moses. Now, Yeshua is like Moses in a variety of ways. People oftentimes speak about just as Moses was a deliverer, so is Yeshua a deliverer. Just as Moses did these miracles, so Yeshua does miracles, etc., etc. But that's not what this prophecy is about. When Deuteronomy 18 says that the Lord will raise up among your brethren a prophet like me, he doesn't mean Simply, he will be a redeemer like me or he'll do miracles like me. He means he will be spoken to like I've been spoken to because that's what separated Moses out from all the other prophets. No other prophet heard from God in direct communication like Yeshua, uh, like Moses. And what Moses is saying is the prophet like unto me that you need to look for is the one with whom I speak directly to. That's the prophet we need to see. And at the end of Deuteronomy, the reason why the book doesn't end is because the prophet like Moses has not shown up yet. Now, here's another interesting thing. Numbers chapter 34 was not written by Moses. And probably, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 34 was not written by Moses. It records his death. Moses isn't recording his death. He's dead. So Numbers, Deuteronomy 34 is not written by Moses. But you know what else? Deuteronomy 33 is probably not written by Moses either. How do we know that? Well, take a look at Deuteronomy 33. This is the blessing. This is how it starts. Deuteronomy 33, verse 1. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. There's a little phrase here that is very easily scooted over that we may not pay attention to. Look how Moses is described. He's called the what? The man of God. Do you know in the, all the five books of Moses, that phrase doesn't appear at all. The man of God does not appear in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It doesn't appear at all. Moses is never called the man of God. We read it a few times. He's always called the servant of God. The phrase, the man of God, appears much later in Israel's history to speak about prophets. That's true. But not in the first five books of Moses, and it's never used of him. He's always called the servant of the Lord. So why is he all of a sudden called the man of God? Because Moses isn't writing this. Someone later in Israel's history is writing this. We also have other reasons Uh, to suspect this is the case. Look at Numbers chapter 34. Not only is Moses called the man of God, which phrase is never used of Moses or in the first five books, but is used of older prophets later in history. And therefore, it appears someone later in Jewish history is writing these concluding words of the book of Deuteronomy. No doubt what Moses had blessed the nation with had been passed on orally. No doubt what happened on Mount Nebo was passed on orally, and now later in history, a Jewish writer is writing it. One of the evidences is we find a phrase that's found in later Jewish history, not at this particular point in Jewish history or anywhere with regard to the first five books. But look what also it says. When it speaks about the burial site of Moses, 
It says in verse 6, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Well, it seems kind of unrealistic to think that nobody knew where Moses was buried when Moses was buried. I mean, they're on Mount Nebo. Why wouldn't they know where he was buried? They knew that he was being buried right then and there. And so, but the writer says, to this day, that's a phrase that denotes a very lengthy period of time. It couldn't just be like Joshua or someone nearby. It had to be like a period of time has gone through, and we still don't know to this very day where Moses is buried. We don't know his burial site. And not only that, and we can't get into all of the Hebrew construction, but when he says that, and there, look at verse 16, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel. That phrase, since, in my translation, is a very bad translation. It really means to say, there has not appeared, or let me just get it, and there has not arisen a prophet ever in Israel like Moses. That is what the Hebrew word really says. So you have three pieces of evidence that are telling us Numbers, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy 33 and 34 were written much later. He's called the man of God, not the servant of God, a term that's used much later. We're told that they don't know where his burial site is to this day, which denotes a lengthy period of time. And the Hebrew doesn't say since, it says ever. That's why the book doesn't end. And that's why we start it over again. Because we're waiting for the ending to come to bear. And what's the ending? We need the prophet like Moses to appear. That's what brings the story to an end. That's what brings the Hebrew scriptures to a conclusion. The conclusion is we're looking for Messiah. That's why Genesis 3.15 says the seed of a woman. We're looking for that seed of a woman. That's why Moses is telling us, look for the seed of a woman. Look for the descendant of Abraham. Look for the one that will be born of Judah. Look for the one that will be born, uh, will be a prophet like unto me. These were all signposts. Moses was writing and he comes to the climax. He must be like me, which means he must speak directly with God. He's not one that hears the word of God through visions and dreams, but he's one that God speaks directly to. And at the end of Deuteronomy, the writer who writes has told us that prophet has not yet appeared. And we need to keep looking for him. We need to keep our eyes open for his coming because that's what the word of God is all about. We celebrate the word of God. We rejoice in the word of God because it's telling us about the coming Messiah. He hasn't come yet, so we continue to probe uh, what it teaches us until he comes. And when he comes, we celebrate the fulfillment of what the word of God has been telling us. Now, most scholars, interestingly enough, when they answer the question, well, who then might have written this? They draw our attention to Ezra the scribe. And they look at Ezra chapter 7 where it speaks about him uh, renewing the word of God. And perhaps it was Ezra. We don't know for sure. But if it was Ezra, now think about this. If it was Ezra, and that's what most scholars will tell us, that's a thousand years later than Moses. So if Moses is 1,500 years before the time of Messiah, 
Ezra is about 500 years before the time of Messiah. That means he has written after all the prophets of Israel have come on the scene of history with the exception of one, Malachi. Because Malachi is written about 400. So that's 100 years after. That means if Ezra wrote this, which I believe he did, then the end of the passage when he says the prophet like Moses has not yet appeared, he's been able to hear all of the prophets. Isaiah already appeared. Jeremiah already appeared. Daniel already appeared. All the minor prophets with the exclusion of Malachi, they all have appeared. And what Ezra is telling us, the scribe, the prophet like Moses, hasn't appeared on the scene of history yet. And it will be about 500 years later that John will come on the scene, Israel's final national prophet, and he will stand up before the people and he will say, repent Because the prophet like Moses is about to come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's no accident, by the way, that when Peter stands up on the day of Shavuot, Feast of Weeks on Pentecost, in Acts chapter 3, he makes reference to Yeshua being the prophet like Moses. And it's no accident that when Stephen stands up in Acts chapter 7, He, too, will say the same thing. Yeshua is the prophet like Moses. So when we celebrate Simchat Torah, what comes to my attention, at least this year, what comes to my attention is what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the word of God. And the book of Deuteronomy is read, closes, and then we go back to the book of Genesis. Why? Because in Jewish tradition, in their view, the prophet like Moses hasn't appeared. But for you and I, the prophet like Moses has appeared. And what did Yeshua say? He said things like, the Father and I are one. What does the scripture say? Yeshua said things like, I only do what my Father tells me. Isn't it interesting? He never says something like, what the Father shows me, what the Father reveals to me. He only speaks about what the Father tells him, what the Father speaks to him, what the Father makes known to him. And you know what's also interesting? In Isaiah chapter 50, You know, like the Jewish leaders, they would say things about Yeshua. They would say, how can this man teach the things that he teaches without having been learned, without having been a student, without having to go to rabbinic school? And the answer is found in Isaiah chapter 50, because in chapter 50, we're told the Messiah would be woken morning by morning to be instructed by the Lord regarding the word of God with regard to to his humanity, right? That's always the thing we have to remember is the God-man, right? Once he becomes incarnate. The point is, Messiah knew the word of God because God spoke to him directly. And therefore, his relationship with the Lord is very different than any other. It's like Moses, but somewhat different than Moses, even more intimate than Moses, but like Moses, Because Moses was the prophet with whom God would speak face to face. And the Messiah would be the one and only prophet. The Lord would speak face to face. And so it is he that we are to look for. And that's why Deuteronomy doesn't end. Because from Moses' perspective, or I should say from Ezra's perspective, a thousand years later, having observed through written form all that the prophets have written, 
the prophet like Moses hasn't appeared on the scene of history. Where is he? We keep waiting and we keep looking. And 500 years after Ezra, he appears. And when he appears, isn't it thrilling to think that he speaks to the people not like God spoke from Mount Sinai, which caused great fear, but rather he spoke and he said things like, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? He said things like, I, you know, I speak to you as a friend speaks to a friend, and I let you know all that will transpire. He said things like, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you unto myself, that where you are, you may be also. He spoke comforting words that were to bring people in to his heart, that we might receive him as Savior and Lord. When we do, then there truly is a rejoicing over the Torah and over the law because we've then experienced its fulfillment. And now it does come to an end, or at least it comes to the point to which it had been pointing all along. Look for that one. And when he comes, make sure you embrace him. We are most fortunate most fortunate that Messiah has come, but that we have come to know him. So let's pray. Our God and Father, we rejoice in you and we glorify your name. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your son, Yeshua, into our world and he has come into our world and fulfilled all that the prophet said he would do. The prophet, like Moses, has come. And he has made himself known. And because of what he has done, we can have life in his name and have it more abundantly. Father, our prayer during this season, even though it's come to a close in the Jewish community, our prayer during this season is that, Father, you might move upon the hearts of your people. May some come to realize the lack of fulfillment as they presently see the word, but might you open their hearts to its truth in the recognition that Yeshua has come and that life in all of its fullness can be experienced through him. Touch the lives of those in our community. Help us, Lord, to reach out as effectively as we can and bring the joy of your word, the joy of your Lord, law to each and every heart, we pray. So we bless your name and we pray in Messiah's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.